You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. We'll start today's episode with a little self-test. See how your self-awareness is doing. And see of that which you are aware. Question. How are you feeling right now? How does your body feel? How are you feeling emotionally, if I can use that word? I don't like the word because most emotions actually are just born out of thought. But we'll it's fine for our purposes right now. How are you feeling emotionally? Just take a moment to become aware of how you're feeling in your body, sitting where you are, or if you're listening to this walking, how your body feels when it moves. And take a moment to take note of how you're feeling emotionally. Now, I've said take note of. I didn't say judge it. I didn't say think about it. I didn't even say label it. Just notice This is very important because very often I talk with people who are meditating and they say to me, I'm not sure if I'm meditating properly or I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be feeling when I'm meditating or I felt something weird when I was meditating or I felt something lovely when I was meditating. Now, weird and lovely are judgments. Wondering whether you are meditating properly or not is a judgment. What we do when we meditate is we sit down and be. We use one or more of our senses. Probably our feeling sense, and that could be either uh, uh, an experience of our bodies or an experience of our breathing, because an awful lot of meditation is breathing-based. Or it could be our auditory sense. We sit down and we listen. Or it could be a mix. And very often meditations are a mix for the simple reason that we have five senses. And in the ordinary course of our everyday lives, in using those five senses, we obviously mix them and feel, hear, smell, taste, and see as a result of that mixture. Now, of course, the reality of the situation, if we're using our mind normally, is that we do none of those things. We neither see, feel, hear, smell, nor taste. What we do is we think about what we're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting. That's why I asked you the question and asked you to answer it in the way in which I suggested. Non-judgmentally. Just be aware. Just be self-aware. I would suggest to you that you ask yourself that question a number of times today. I was going to ask you how you had been feeling up to now, but that's the past. The past doesn't matter. What matters is what you do now. So in other words, if you have been all over the place this morning, If normal crazy people have been riling you, pushing your buttons, pulling your levers, working you up. You don't carry that into the next now, because if you do, you're a fool. Actually, no, hold on. That's being slightly unfair. If you do, you're just normal. No, it wasn't unfair. 
because normal crazy people being crazy are fools. Because as somebody said to me in the middle of a one-to-one -one conversation this morning, I'm living amongst zombies. It's staggering to discover how mindless people are, how mindless normal crazy people are. Now, you might say to yourself, hold on, that sounds a little arrogant. It sounds a little smug. It's certainly an observation laced with a bit of judgment. But the fact of the matter is, and the key point I want to make, is that there's no merit in asking yourself, how was I feeling up to now? Or am I having a good or bad day? The only question worth asking yourself is, how am I feeling now? And when you become aware of how you're feeling, well, that's self-awareness, isn't it? So you might become aware of the fact that your mind is racing at the moment, that you're thinking thoughts that are unrelated to the here and now. That, of course, would be normal. The normal everyday state of mind, of course, that would be normal. When you discover that, you move on to the next now. You don't say to yourself, I need to stop those thoughts. I need to bat those thoughts away. I need to, as somebody said to me in a group Zoom with program owners a couple of weeks ago, I need to try really hard to get rid of the thoughts that are in my head. No, you don't. The thoughts like the poor will always be with us. You have 70,000 thoughts rattling through your head every day. They're pretty much the same 70,000 thoughts that have been rattling through your head every day since you were 12 or 13 years of age, because these are the thoughts that your normal crazy automatic pilot uses to enable you crawl zombie-like, to quote my friend, through the day. There's nothing new under the sun. So there's no merit in saying to yourself, I'll bash those thoughts away, because those thoughts that you're having now will be with you tomorrow. The secret and it's not a secret at all, of course, because we've talked about it many times. But the trick, and it's not a trick either, but the thing you need to do to stop your thoughts having any power over you, and we'll talk about that in a moment, is to not give them your attention, not give them your energy. Now, that in itself is a negative statement. I am not going to give my thoughts my energy. Let's turn it into a positive statement. I am giving my energy and attention to here and now. I'm giving my energy and attention to what my senses are actually telling me. To what I'm actually seeing, what I'm feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting. As non-judgmentally as is humanly possible. Because if even you make a judgment, a nice judgment, like, ooh, that's lovely. It's still a judgment. It is a thought. And as we said a number of weeks ago, it may be what I described a number of weeks ago as a goldfish thought. In other words, it's a nice thought. It's attractive. It's shiny. It's pretty. But thoughts come into your head one at a time as goldfish. And the minute you give your attention to the goldfish, there's a shoal of piranhas waiting to dismember you. One thought is the banana skin on which we slip. So we need to learn to not think. And again, I will put that the other way around as a positive statement. We need to learn to be attentive to the reality of the here and now. We need to come to our senses. We need to listen to what we're hearing. 
really see what is before our very eyes. Appreciate and be aware of how we feel. And obviously enjoy the smells and tastes of the world around us. What we're eating and what we're drinking, all good things. But back to the start of today's episode. Because the question I asked you was, in effect, a reminder for you. And we need reminding all of the time. Why do we need reminding all of the time? Because of those 70,000 thoughts that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. The posterior cingulate cortex in your brain is firing thoughts at you at 70,000 thoughts a waking day. By that I mean your mind is only being bombarded by those thoughts while you're awake. When you're asleep, it's your thinking mind that falls asleep. And that's why very often we dream dreams that actually have a meaning. The problem is, of course, you're asleep. But then again, as all of my clients and program owners know, the more you develop your ability to be present, to be aware, to come into the here and now non-judgmentally, the more you begin to remember the key dreams that you have during the course of the night. We'll talk about that some other time, but it's very important. Uh, and by the way, it is why modern psychology tells you that if you have an important decision to make or problem to solve, you should sleep on it because your non-thinking mind, what I've described in other episodes as your being mind, or more to the point now, in this conversation, our doing mind, your doing mind, will actually get the little ducks in a row and present you with the decision that you need to make, the choice you need to make, or a solution to the problem that you've been toying around with in your head as a result of having slept on it because your thinking mind has got out of the way in exactly the same way. And we talked about this a number of weeks ago in a previous episode. If you have something important to, really important to do in the next couple of days, and the example I gave you a few weeks ago was an interview, really important interview. And the same advice, by the way, goes for any important examination, any important test. What you do by way of preparation for anything really important like that is something totally unrelated to that something really important. The example I gave you was that I advised a friend of mine who had a really important interview coming up to paint, to paint his stable doors in that particular case, if you recollect the example, to do something that was completely unrelated to the task that was coming down the line at him in that case. Why? Because if we take our thinking minds completely out of the equation in relation to, for example, getting ahead of ourselves, thinking about, oh, what will I say if this happens? Or what will I do if that question comes up? When we get our thinking minds out of the way, what is already inside us, and we have a huge wealth of information, knowledge and understanding inside us, will come out in the right order, in the right way, effortlessly, if only I could get my thinking mind out of the way. So everything that we've talked about so far in this episode is related to allowing your thinking mind fade into the background scenery of your life. Now, I've chosen that analogy quite deliberately because neuroscience tells us 
that the more we develop our ability to give our energy to and pay attention to the here and now, you remember the positive statement I mentioned a minute ago, I'm going to give my attention to what I'm seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting in the here and now. The more we do that, the sooner we get to the point that the way in which that activity restructures the key components of our subcortical brain, the more those key components communicate with each other in a new and novel way to the point that their new methodology of communicating precludes the 70,000 thoughts that are being fired at you from the back of the brain precludes those thoughts coming into your field of either consciousness or subconsciousness. Now, it's the subconscious that's actually more important than the conscious, because generally speaking, you will not be aware of 99% of the 70,000 thoughts that are whizzing through your head every day. You'll only be aware of them when you make a fool of yourself or trip yourself up, or more to the point, think you've made a fool of yourself or through thinking, trip yourself up. In other words, you'll be aware of them when you say to yourself, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I wish I'd put myself forward better, or why did I miss that opportunity, or am I a man or a mouse? I should have actually stood up and said what needed to be said. It's only in circumstances like that when we are aware of, consciously aware, actually aware that there are thoughts in our head that are disabling us. Well, we're not aware of 99% of the 70,000 thoughts that are whizzing through our head for the simple reason that they are the thoughts that our subconscious mind is paying its attention to because in the subconscious mind sits our automatic pilot that enables us to do most of the things that we do in the ordinary course of our everyday lives without being aware of them either, without being consciously aware of, for example, the actions involved in tying my shoelaces or the complex muscle movements involved in dressing myself. This all happens at a level below awareness. Now, by the same token, tying your shoelaces or dressing yourself could be, if you so chose, an exercise in awareness in exactly the same way as we started this episode with an exercise in awareness. How am I feeling right now? Meditation comes in all shapes and sizes. I know there are lots of purists going around saying you need to meditate this way. And if you don't meditate this way, you're not meditating properly at all, or you won't um, experience nirvana or whatever fancy word people want to put on the altered state of mind that we do experience when we meditate properly. When we actually sit down, close our eyes, and use one of the senses that I mentioned earlier on when we meditate. But there are a lot of purists around who will say you can only do it this way or that way and you have to be sitting with your legs wrapped around your ears, blah, 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 blah. No. Meditation is about coming to your senses. Meditation is about paying attention to the reality of the moment. So tying your shoelaces could be a meditation. It'll take you longer. It will take you deliberately longer if you so choose. In other words, there are things we do every day that provide us with the opportunity 
to give ourselves a little bit of elbow room and take a little more time to be fully aware of what we're doing. They are meditations. And we can create meditations out of anything and everything we're doing. In fact, I'm going to qualify what I'm about to say in a minute, but in fact, I would suggest to you that doing that kind of meditation, in other words, deliberately paying an unusual amount of attention to something you have to do anyway, is in the long term a more powerful meditation than sitting down with your legs wrapped around your ears. Because we live our lives in the midst of the things that we do every day, in the midst of the people that we encounter every day. If we use those tasks and those encounters as opportunities to be aware, non-judgmentally aware, just aware of what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling, what I'm smelling and what I'm tasting. If we use those everyday opportunities, we weave a clear and altered state of mind into the midst of our day. And that's where we need it. That's where we need that state of mind. We don't need to be clear and present at seven o'clock in the morning when we're meditating. It's nice when it happens, but that's a judgment. Uh -huh. It's a nice judgment, but it's a goldfish. But the key point I'm making is that it's in the middle of the day that we need to be clear and present and focused. It's in the middle of the day when all manner of chaos is going on around us in the zombie world inhabited by the normal crazy zombies. It's then we need to have our wits about us. But I said I'd qualify what I've just said. I am assuming that you are doing proper meditation in the morning before your day gets going. And proper meditation demands that you sit down, or should I say sit up, sit up straight with your eyes closed with your feet firmly on the floor or if you are one of these people who actually sits on the floor to meditate with your legs wide open in a way that is comfortable and a way that supports your back in terms of your back your back needs to be straight but comfortably so in terms of your head it needs to be held high but comfortably so and in terms of your shoulders they should be relaxed you see pictures of, for example, or depictions of the Buddha meditating, and he looks slouched, doesn't he? And I, I've seen a number of people, um, Essen Goenka, who taught me Vipassana meditation, would sit with, apparently, his shoulders slouched. But, but what he was doing was releasing the tension from his body, releasing the tension from his shoulders by allowing his shoulders completely and utterly relax. Meditation starts with relaxing the body and getting it into the right posture. Now, and that is where people often make the mistake in believing that meditation is a relaxation exercise. That's only the beginning of any meditation that you do, a calming exercise. But meditation is a turn on. You don't switch off when you meditate. You turn yourself on to the reality of the here and now. And you experience what I mentioned a minute ago, an altered state of mind. Now, <laughs> is it an altered state of mind or not? 
I know some people have asked me, what about, you know, smoking something to achieve an altered state of mind? But that is no use in terms of restructuring the neural pathways in our brain and bringing that altered state of mind into the cut and thrust, rough and tumble and chaos of the ordinary everyday experience of life. It isn't. Meditation restructures the brain. We know that it actually restructures the neural pathways in the brain. As I alluded to a few minutes ago, it restructures the key neural pathways in the key components of the subcortical brain that change how we experience the world, change how we make our decisions, change how we solve problems, ultimately change how we behave ourselves and transform what used to be reactive behavior into real action that leads us forward and real action that leads us forward effortlessly. I would suggest that when people use their minds normally, in other words, on automatic pilot, without a clue as to what is really going on in the here and now, this judgmental madness born out of the 70,000 thoughts that I mentioned a minute ago, I would suggest that that's the altered state of mind. You know, somebody said to me, after sitting one-to-one -one meditating for the first time a number of years ago, this guy opened his eyes and he said, did you hypnotize me? And I said, no, no, I didn't. He said, well, was that self-hypnosis then? I said, well, you could look on it as self-hypnosis, but actually, basically what you were doing was, was waking up from your trance because since the age of 12 or 13, you've been hypnotized by the mad thoughts in your own head. That's the altered state of mind. When you actually wake up, in other words, when you become aware, hence our little exercise in awareness at the beginning of this episode, when you wake up, you go back to your natural original state of mind of being completely present in the here and now. It's the state of mind you were in when you were young and present and unfortunately impressionable. Uh, by unfortunately, I mean uh, we were so present when we were two or three years of age in particular that we took psychological snapshots of anything and everything that was going on around us. We didn't have enough experience or the right judgment. Now, it's an in, that's an interesting one, but I'll come back to that in a moment. The right judgment to say to ourselves, well, I'm not going to take that psychological snapshot because it'll damage me for the rest of my life as psychological snapshots that we take when we are young and impressionable actually do. The judgment I'm talking about there is not the same as the judgment I was talking about earlier on. If you meet somebody and he says or she says something to you, you're going to filter what they say through how you feel about that person. That is a thought-based judgment. If you trip yourself up as a result of some of the thoughts that we talked about earlier on and you say to yourself well am i a bloody idiot or words to that effect that is a thought created judgment the judgment i'm talking about in relation to knowing whether i should take this psychological snapshot or that psychological snapshot or indeed the judgment that you might think you are making in relation to a decision that you make or a problem that you have to solve, because that's what I said a minute ago, they're not judgments, they're knowings. Judgment comes from the thinking 
mind through a process known as cognitive appraisal. I put what's really going on in the here and now through the cognitive appraisal sausage machine, and what comes out the other end is unrecognizable as compared to what was actually said or what is actually going on. Because I've put my own spin and my own interpretation on it, and the interpretation that I've put on it is based on thoughts that are learned before the age of 11 or 12. So it has nothing to do. If it bears a passing resemblance to the reality of the here and now, it's pure dumb luck. But knowing comes from the non-thinking mind. Knowing comes from the clear mind. Knowing comes from what we colloquially describe as our gut instinct or our intuition. It's a completely different thing. And people often ask me, how will I know the difference? And the answer is, you just know. Because knowing is a feeling. You can actually feel it in the pit of your stomach. Judging, it's kind of obvious because it feels normal. Because it is normal. Because you've been judging or prejudging everything and everybody, including yourself, since you became an adolescent. And that is why we need to go back to the start of today's episode. You need to stop judging. You need to start becoming increasingly aware of the reality of, for starters, how you're feeling right now. And only right now. Most people will drag the past into the present and consequently miss the present. And having done that, they'll cast their minds into the future and worry about that and be completely marked absent in the present. Everything happens in the present moment. You know, if you encounter an opportunity in three days' time, it's not now that you're encountering it in three days' time. You'll only encounter that opportunity in that now in three days' time. You better be awake for the opportunity. You better be aware of the opportunity. You better be aware of how you're feeling yourself so that you are aware of the reality of the moment, so that you are aware of what is going on, so that you recognize an opportunity for what it is. Last week's episode was called words to this effect, I can't remember the exact title, that you need a slap across the face. Let's look at that from another perspective today, because in our everyday lives, opportunity is slapping us across the face all of the time. We don't feel it because we're not here. And even if we felt the slap across the face, we would judge it as something else. You'll only spot the opportunities that life is throwing at you all of the time. When you're here, when you actually are present in your life, you need to wake up. You need to become self-aware through which you become aware. And then you're in a different place altogether because you've stopped judging. You've started knowing. And once you know, first of all, what's going on, what's really going on, once you know what opportunities are being presented to you, really being presented to you in the here and now, and once you know those things and know how you're feeling and are aware of where you are, you suddenly know what to do. This is the practicality of being wide awake in the here and now as distinct from living the zombie life that my friend alluded to and which I mentioned a little earlier on. 
What's the point of all this? The point of all this is that we can meditate till the cows come home in the peace and quiet of our own little personal quiet space or ashram, whatever you want to call the little corner of your house where you meditate. And by the way, just as an aside, you shouldn't always do your meditation in the same little corner because it'll become habitual and anything that becomes habitual becomes mind numbing. And that gets us back to square one. Actually, that's not true. We never go back to square one. Once you start meditating, you bank the experiences that you've had through meditation and you build on those experiences. Better again, if you build on those experiences by turning some of the tasks that you have to do during the day into meditations themselves so that you become fully immersed in what you're doing and fully aware of what you're doing and fully aware of how you're feeling as you're doing it because that brings the practicality of a clear and present mind into where it matters. So as I said, you can meditate till the cows come home in the peace and quiet of your own home. But what actually matters is that you meditate during the course of the day. And as I said, you can make up those meditations as circumstances not permit, because you're the decision maker in relation to whether circumstances permit or not, but as circumstances provide you with the opportunity to meditate. And, you know, taking a sip out of your cup of coffee is one of those opportunities. Well, what about life's bigger opportunities that I mentioned a minute ago? I said that opportunity is slapping you across the face all the time. And it is. When we become more clear and present as a result of our self-awareness, which gives us a deeper awareness of what is actually going on, we recognize opportunities as something bigger and grander than just opportunities. We recognize them as synchronicities. In other words, happenings in the moment with meaning. And the meaning is that we know in our gut, as we've described a minute ago, we know in our gut that this is something important. We know in our gut that I need to give it an extra bit of awareness and attention. And we know in our gut that it is a call to action. And as we know from earlier on in this episode, with a clear and present mind, an aware mind, my subcortical brain is readied for action. And the days of normal crazy reaction are where they need to be in the past. Cool. Remember to remind yourself to be aware of how you're feeling right now. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough, called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-dash.com.